You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is stuff. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Today I am joined by my partner in Lamb Goat, Dylan. He is on board for the podcast to help me, uh, kind of help me, but he just has more insight to this particular guest, Brendan, uh, Brendan Small from metalocalypse uh and a plethora of other things you've created home movies and a bunch of other shows along the way welcome to the show brendan how you doing i don't think i did a bunch of stuff but yes i did do those shows yeah um thanks for having me you're you're more than welcome man and again dylan you can introduce yourself your first time on the podcast go ahead yes yes hi guys thanks for having me dave it's good to be Mm -hmm. here good to meet you Brendan and excited to talk about it. So let's go. Yeah. Long time cool. listener and producer, first time caller. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, interesting. Uh, interesting enough, Metalocalypse gained a lot of fame. I mean, not only in the cartoon and adult, you know, cartoon world, but in the music world, it became kind of like a, I, I don't want to say like a meme, but something that like a lot of the audience of metal really enjoyed and i think it was cool that you guys actually eventually started playing out live or or had people play out live um i guess i'll just ask with the basic question like how did the idea for metalocalypse come around because you already had been working on shows in general so how did that idea formulate uh it's pretty crazy because um i went to music school and and while I was at music school, I was, at, I was kind of having a guitar identity crisis. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was sitting there in music school. I was about to graduate. And I just thought, how the hell am I going to... Maybe my parents were right. How the hell am I going to do anything with this guitar? Like, what, a, what am I, an idiot? And I, and I can't hide out any longer. So, um, so I was trying to find... Like, I was trying to look at the future. I was trying to figure out, like, will I be a film composer or something like that? Or I, uh, I, I ended up interning at Jingle Houses that summer in New York. Uh, you know the places where they write music for commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. I worked at a couple different places. I worked at a movie theater on Broadway and Nineteenth at the same time too. But I lived in Queens, and my roommate was interning at Conan O'Brien. And uh, and I found myself wrapping cables and trying to finish my day so I could get over to Thirty Rockefeller Plaza and go be a fly on the wall and see what they were doing in TV production. Yes. And my brain was just dragging my body around to places that were comedy related or. Also, like I said, I worked in a movie theater, so all I cared about was movies, guitar, and comedy. So 
so it made me really think and I was always I was always interested in writing I would write just for myself like I would just journal at a coffee shop you know just to kind of um, something therapeutic about it you know like if you go through a breakup or something like that you start just writing because you're like I don't know what am I going to do like I just broke up with someone and, you, and then you read it and you go oh yeah you're an idiot you screwed this up you did something whatever you kind of have some kind of if you're reading your own kind of thoughts you have some objectivity in who you are just a little bit and um, and so my last year of music school I started taking comedy really really seriously and as much practice as I would do on guitar I would do as, as a writer and I started taking class at Emerson College and working with a teacher there named Mike Bent who was really encouraging and I was really competitive because I was sitting there with a bunch of writing majors and I was a music major and I really wanted to write funnier stuff than them. I want to write funnier, better, more exciting, more creative stuff. So I got very creative. I mean, I got very competitive. And um, and then that would get me on stage doing stand-up, blah, blah, blah. And then Home Movies happens. And Home Movies happens. And we really liked making the show. We really enjoyed the show. Uh, but, the, but the fans, there were no fans. Nobody cared about it. It would just air our original episodes. And they would just kind of like sit there and just tank and it just didn't do well so though we liked the show we ended the show um you know and got got to know what our final episode was so we got to write the final piece and say goodbye to the show we really liked you and then later on it got very popular after when it came on dvd but Mm -hmm. before then it was just like we i had to like prove people that i i I couldn't prove to people that i worked in television because (laughs) no one had seen this tv show so it was very much like not having a tv show to work on um, and then during that whole time of home movies, I found myself just going back to metal shows and going to guitar-driven shows. So I'd go see Cannibal Corpse by myself, or I'd go see um, like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani. I was like starting to fall back in love with my guitar. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was also just like going and seeing like Behemoth and like all these bands, and I was just. And then I then I met Tommy Blotcha, and Tommy Blotcha was the only guy that would go to these shows with me. And then we started doing a live comedy show called the Dumb Dildo Show. And it was one of the stupidest shows. Is myself, Tommy Blotcha, uh, an actor and a friend of mine named Andrew Donnelly, and an actor who's in tons of movies now, who's going to be in the new Scorsese movie, a guy named Pat Healy. So the four of us would do this stupid show, and we started doing kind of like Cannibal Corpse related sketches on stage, like what if uh, Shelley the Machine Levine from uh, from Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, were George Corpsegrinder Fisher, and we do that whole lead thing, you know, like we, I'm talking to Glen Gary leads, so he would, be, and so we do all that stuff, and and it was really funny to us, and I had like a development deal going on somewhere at the same time after home movies, and it was just kind of going nowhere. It was like a, a network one that was just took forever, and I would just complain about it, and then I was talking to Chris McCulloch, who's also known as Jackson Public, who's my friend and my neighbor, and he was listening to me complain about this other show, and he said. I don't understand. Here you are, you're complaining about the show, and it's not achieving liftoff, nothing's happened, it's too slow, whatever it is. But all you do is talk about heavy metal. Why, why aren't you doing that as a show? And it was like, I sat there in silence, and I couldn't believe that I was so stupid that I couldn't think of that myself. And I said, you're right, why the hell aren't I doing something like that? So I went over to Tommy, and I said, I think we should for a ever at Adult Swim and I turned it around like an afternoon maybe we should try to do this thing so that's how it all started talk to uh, the network and they were like oh cool green light let's do it let's let's write it up write it up and I was like um I can't write it up because I don't know anything about it just yet 
But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna sit down with my guitar and I'm gonna start kind of figuring out what it sounds like. Because if I think we can get the band part up and running, then maybe we'll have something. But if it's you know if it's generic and inspecific and it isn't you know then who cares? So we kept on. Then we were like working with a team of people. John Schnepp, who uh, passed away not too long ago, was an important part of the early days too, where he was kind of developing the look of the characters. And the first look was very just not the right look. It was just like these loopy, strange kind of hair metal characters. And I was like, okay, this this is a good thing to talk about because these people have been wearing the same jeans for about six months, the same T-shirts. They smell bad and they can hurt you. That's what we're talking about. Um, there's probably a knife in one of their pockets covered with blood. This is who this band is. So we so so that so so it all. And then I heard that they were doing twenty episode orders. So I got again very ambitious, and I thought, can we do something where we have like, can we get like thirty episode ideas and write them down, and just like even if they're just one sentence, if they're just jokes, like just thirty jokes that each one of you read and go, ha, I see how that's funny, ha, I see how that. So all that stuff kind of comes together, and Adult Swim was really establishing itself as this really cool counterculture kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, late night lunacy, and I was really excited. So, so yeah, because uh, I was a big fan of Space Ghost and um, mm-hmm. big fan of uh, Aqua Teen and all that stuff. So, so I thought this show is probably going to fit in with those shows. Home movies was like, you know, what it is, which is literally a redheaded stepchild. <laughs> so, um, so we're like, and, and by the way, not only that. Here's an important thing. The heavy metal audience doesn't really get anything for themselves. They don't get anything for yeah, themselves. True. Everyone's got nice stuff except for the heavy metal people. We had what? Headbangers Ball for a little while. It was great. It was cool, but we didn't have much more. So I know that those I know that the heavy metal audience is uh persnickety. They're also really um they're like fuck you. That's a really important part about that. They're protective. But if they're in on the whole project, if they're in at the ground level, then I think this is going to work out. So l- how do we do that? Let's talk about that. So that's when we started thinking, let's get Metallica in the first episode. Let's talk <laughs> to Campbell Course. Let's talk to King Diamond. Let's talk to, uh, yeah. um, let's talk to like Enslaved. Let's talk to Michael Amott from Arch Enemy. And let's talk to like, you know, everybody that's Scotty Ian from Anthrax, all these people. And let's have them be funny. Let's have them be part of the joke. Let's have them be part of the world and let's 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 do something that's um, kind of a love letter to this genre, but also kind of something that's about ultimately celebrityism, which is not really heavy metal. It's mm-hmm. something else that's kind of like, what if the biggest entertainment act on earth is an extreme metal band? Yeah. And so, what's the logic of that world? What's the economy look like? How do you build that world? All that stuff. So all those things are kind of coming together, and uh, we're having a lot of fun developing it. And we're doing all of our reading and tons of documentaries on any band that's ever existed. I watched everything from Aerosmith's Pump to uh, uh, what is the what is the Dandy Warhols documentary? Do you know that one? Um, with a it is called it's a one word name. It'll come mm-hmm. to me. No. But um, it's a really good one. So everything that had to do with the band. Oh, and also Metallica's Some Kind of Monster came out which I think is one of the most amazing documentaries of all time. Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. 
Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format, plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. So um, all that stuff is happening, and it's it's in the zeitgeist. Heavy metal is growing anyway, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. so we kind of just uh, kind of rode that same wave, and that's that's how the whole thing started. Yeah, I definitely the, one of the things I do enjoy about our enjoyed about the uh, show and, and the movie because obviously, uh, well, not obviously, no one. I don't know if anyone knows, but you have a movie that's by the time this is airs has already been out. So the Metalocalypse movie is has already been released, but. Um, one thing I definitely liked about the universe that you've created for the for the band is that they are like some giant pop K-pop star. You know, uh, the whole world is waiting on their every whim. So that's humorous in itself. But also, like you know, I all, I often wonder, like, will one day a band reach you know even half that success? Watch, I mean, there are bands that like Metallica and some other bands that you've named that are you know gargantuan in size uh, as po- as far as popularity goes. But like nothing kind of like metalocalypse in their universe well i mean with a pop band yeah taylor swift is doing you know it's recharging the economy and it's almost like a a metalocalypse um headline you know so yeah will extreme metal ever do that i don't know i mean the thing is the other thing about this whole this whole thing is that i wouldn't have really gotten into heavy metal had i not had a friend that lived down the street who not only showed me how to play guitar but also showed me who black sabbath really was Um, Slayer was like really like who showed me who Metallica was who showed me who like you know Fate's Warning and all kinds of like bands you know he showed me everything and not everybody has that person in their life yeah and so 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 we thought like this is going to be a thing hopefully that gets people excited about guitars and heavy metal and we took the guitars very seriously and uh, got all the you know the the fingerings accurate on the show or in the ballpark oh the animation you mean yeah yeah, I mean, where you'd see like Josie and the Pussycats or something where someone's just strumming or playing with their fingers and there's, you know, so we're like, so every every episode I'd sit with my guitar and I'd give, I'd film myself and give a little animation like, okay, the right hand's doing this, watch, it's not moving much, the left hand's doing this riff, that's guitar A, and this is Toki's part, and this is guitar B, and they harm me, put them together, right. and it's a two-guitar part thing. So we would do all that stuff, and just, I mean, it's the same amount of work really as animation, it's just a little bit more specific, so... So all that stuff. So that world is, yeah, it is a world where if you don't release a record, the economy tanks. <laughs> it was expected, and they say, no, we're not going to do it. The economy tanks because there's a lot riding on. And just like with Taylor Swift, the economy is actually getting stronger. It's so crazy. It's weird that the entertainment you know, world can do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, something's funny in the, in the, in the new movie you kind of touch on. Uh, you talk the celebrity of these guys, and and um, at one point they kind of go and uh, look at themselves online and start looking at articles uh, that mm-hmm. are written about them. And yeah. obviously, like you know, bands not recommended that you do that. That you go yeah, yeah. it's a tragic them. endeavor. Yeah, is that something you try to avoid yourself? It's a uh, tragic endeavor, and particularly in this movie. Where... Me, um, you know, the thing is that like. Yeah, that's the right move is to avoid anybody talking about you at all just because it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just like you're either kind of like 
sticking to your guns artistically or you're what listening to other people weigh in and they're making the story or something like that so i think it's it's okay to not really check in on that stuff and be too present you know but but yeah that's that's the era of that so, so again go back to like year 2005 when we started developing the show um there was another looming writer strike and um and i wanted to be a professional writer i really took writing seriously and i wanted to be a writer on television and get paid and then this new thing called the reality show was telling us where like you know even Ozzy Osbourne was part of this but like Pelton or the uh, Kardashians or uh, Ozzy were all kind of reduced to these inept celebrities and that's what you're <laughs> going to get more of you know just lots of these shows you know yeah. so we wanted to make a show about a bunch of inept celebrities who didn't know what day it is don't know what time it is and don't know how to use a doorknob they're just idiots who are being shuffled around by their management from place to place and why are we glorifying them? What's the point? But they happen to be heavy metal. So we get to celebrate heavy metal while lambasting these dipshits, these five dipshits that, yeah. that are just kind of totally self-involved, uh, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, so when we come to this movie, we go, okay, from, from corporate to religion, right? That's the big things. From, like, they're starting off as a money-making machine and they're throwing it all away to become because music is somewhat uh, spiritual right so you can argue that that's part of the thing and we start out with the whole show starts out from the servants quarters by their chef like bringing them food so we're following the chef <laughs> and tracking along again trying to make this grandiose entrance of these total that you're going to find out a couple seconds later are total dipshits so it's, it's again being the lords of the manor so that's kind of the whole trajectory of the show as well interesting I know you've kind of like just shit on the on the band you know the guys in the band but uh i would like to know like because there are some and, and again i don't think that you've based the actual personalities off of anybody but there are like resemblances for certain members like let's say nathan reminds me of corpse grinder and you know you saying you've gone you went to cannibal corpse shows are, are they oh, yeah, mimicked? without a doubt are they mimicked like just visually off of yeah we get this question a lot and the, the one person that we really say is like this is definitely the presence and the kind of embodiment of of corpse grinder as a frontman definitely came yeah. nathan explosion is definitely definitely and corpse grinder knows this too that <laughs> that this is this is like he influenced greatly just the power like when you see cannibal corpse live you're, you're thinking there are five serial killers on stage singing about murder and yeah. it's there's nothing more intense and it's and it's that's what it is. That's what it feels yeah. like. And and he's got a magical presence. He's powerful. That guy's a great frontman. So I think he's one of the great heavy metal frontmans out there. Frontmen. Um and uh everybody else was like, you know, M William Murderface, um Yeah, who's he <laughs> mimicked? Exactly. Off of. <laughs> Who is he? Like, you know, there like there were some talks about like um a lot of people think he's kind of influenced by Something, but that look and that thing, that countenance, is that came from the mind of John Schnapp. So I can't say that. That's good. Anything else? The other, the other two guys uh, uh, with the the longer hair. I can't remember everyone's name, but the balding guys. Toki. So those yeah. are also like some people think it's oh, it's a, it was Alexi Liejo from um uh and rest in peace, Alexi. He was mm -hmm. a great guy, but 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 even like you know, John Schnapp didn't know who that person was. So and then Pickles was. He was a young, handsome guy, and then we took his hair away and like gave him like a dread over and made him just a little bit more unique looking. So his attitude was like, I mean, initially, like I was doing kind of a Mark Borchardt impression from American Movie, if you've ever seen that documentary, which yeah. is a really great documentary. 
Um, and then uh, Squizcar was like, in my mind, it was like more of like the Swedish guitar shred god. So like, it's more like Ingve Malmsteen, who I love. And I read so many articles of where he's got he's got a lot of um, bravado and a lot of uh, a lot of gravitas, and he has a lot to say. And he's it's his way or the highway. And I thought that's good for for Squizcar. And then Toki. We just thought more of like there's kind of maybe more of a class struggle be- between or just a little bit more of competition between Norway and and um, and Sweden too. So we have the fat the world's fastest guitar player. He really isn't, and the world's uh, second fastest in the same band. What does that do to your dynamic? What does it do for your work every single day? And Murderface, the more the metaphor that really showed up and it, and it kind of lands in this movie mm-hmm. is that when I started listening to heavy metal, you couldn't hear the bass. You couldn't hear what Jason Newstead was doing on and Justice for All. You can't even hear it in Pantera that well. You can't hear it that well. It's just it's there. It does. It's there. I love the bass guitar. I love playing it, but it's not present all the time in the mix. So what does that do to a person who isn't being heard? Yeah, that's it rough. makes them kind of like be louder and be more kind of aggressive from moment to moment in life, and and and, and all fueled by self-loathing. So <laughs> that was the, the the kind of the blueprint for Murderface. So, and Nathan was like the quarterback, and we're trying to figure out who he is. He's this kind of like underneath this thing. And by the way, I don't. I don't talk shit about them. They're idiots. That's what the band is, and that's what your comedy heroes have to be. For, I know, like, but I didn't uh, want you to like. Keaton to, I didn't want to like reference yeah, like but, you, but, you know, know like Nathan and, and Cor- uh, George and like us being like yeah, he's yeah. an idiot. You know what I'm saying? But that's why I was yeah, yeah. that. George Korsgrenner is, is not an idiot, and no. he's not the person I'm writing for. I'm writing for Nathan Explosion, and he is an <laughs> idiot. And so is, and he's a figment of my imagination. And so is Toki and then the rest of them. So. My my lead comedy characters are idiots, and they have to be, or I don't get to make the comedy work. So, um, so that's that's part of it. So that's that's all that stuff. So, you, so you ask yourself, like, what what does it take? I need two guitar players because I like guitar harmonies. I love Iron Maiden, and I love Brian May from Queen, and I like all that stuff. So I need, I want to be able to use the guitar as a harmonic device and a melodic device. And the drummer, I thought, was like, oh, can he be like you know Roger Taylor, or can he be like Dave Grohl, like somebody who's already had a band and this is their second band you know or Roger Taylor who sings and plays drums is an important component to the to the blueprint of the music itself so all that stuff I was thinking about and then just kind of going psychologically what is this what is a band a band is a you know a group of roommates who are um, not bound by love but by circumstance he plays bass I don't so you're in the band and a tour bus is a is a traveling roommates and what is your relationship with roommates Remember having roommates? If you have one, you, you, you can't really say, hey, do you mind using a coaster? You're fucking up my coffee table. That's not even a conversation you can really have because it's not an intimate relationship. You know, It's not like yeah. having a husband or a wife where you can go, hey, can you just take your clothes off the, the kitchen table for a second? If a roommate happened, you guys would probably kill each other. So you're at a distance. And you're, it, this is also about how <laughs> masculinity <laughs> and how I grew up and how mas- how conversation works in the world of masculinity, which is... Everyone's a fucking loud football coach, and everyone's silent and interpreting an emotional center or vulnerability deep inside of them in a heavy metal world is a really tricky path to negotiate, and that to me is something that's worth exploring because yeah. we don't. Yeah, you, you know, you 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 brought something up in our, our uh, interview we did with you 15 years ago. One of our writers did an interview with you, and you talked yeah. about how. Uh, everything uh, just just relating how everything is brutal. Your girlfriend breaking up with your girlfriend's yeah. brutal. Just like yeah, life that's is the philosophy brutal of brutality. So 
there's an important kind of like part of the show too, which is that you bring up. So thanks for bringing it up. It is, it is the philosophy of brutality. What is what is the most what is the ultimate brutality? Death, yes, or dying, being in the throes of death. But there's so many things in everybody's life that are very very brutal, but not as brutal, like humidity, going to the dentist. Oh, I know that. Being, being broken up with, having to break up with somebody, um, <laughs> diarrhea. Um, <laughs> being hung over uh uh going to work flying coach there's a million things in the world that just suck and they're totally brutal and they're not as bad as death but they're pretty close to some of us yeah i definitely want to say i mean like even as a fan i've watched i didn't realize the show had come out in 2005 and it's been that long and that that's uh that that's it came out like in yesterday. 2006. Yeah, but I say we started like developing yesterday. it in 2005. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but I mean, like, we're obviously going to change topics, but just to touch base on the characters and like the universe that you guys created for for the band and stuff like that. I mean, you kind of just you nailed it. It's so weird, you know what I mean? And it's uh, it's hilarious, and the and the music. I mean, is better than I don't know some bands that are out currently that are still currently touring. You know what I mean? And that's not a I'm not trying to shit on anyone or anything like that, but I mean, you guys... You're trying to compliment me. You're almost yeah, there. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. yeah. You, don't have you, guys, to you guys really killed it. And I mean, part of me wants to know, like, because obviously you started playing guitar at an early age. You were wildly influenced by metal music and bands and stuff like that. Like, when you had the opportunity to, like, tour full-time with Metalocalypse, like, what holds you back from that? Obviously, I know you're... you're Oh, why don't your I, career, why don't I do your that TV for a career. Yeah, your TV career and all that other stuff and acting and voice acting and stuff like that. I know that is, but I mean, like, as a kid, you know, as like a 12 year old yeah. Brandon, like, you have to tell them, like, oh, we, we write sick ass music, but we just don't tour full time. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's funny. No, it's it's really crazy. It's, um, I know that there's there's a part of me that gets bored easily. And I think, you know, just, just having a lot of jobs on the show is really important to me. Plus, I also want to, get a kind of a singular idea out there from the music to the to how the characters talk to what the world looks like and again that whole world and, and a huge part of developing this show is working with not just John Schnepp but Titmouse Titmouse the animation company Chris Pranowski and Shannon Pranowski and Antonio Canobio were really important parts because they were just doing commercials and music videos back then and we came to them and we said let's let's turn this commu- let's turn this production place into a TV production place so that was part of it but yeah um the show in order to do it you have to like really uh be the last person standing every day and uh and 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 again like everybody goes home after the end of the season but i take my guitars and my amps and i go into a a studio and and try to elongate these songs or make them into bigger pieces so that so so you just it's the same thing you know it's just it's storytelling and these are the elements the songs are world building i start talking about like there's a whole world of mermaider and subterranean underwater crazy stuff that just happened because of the second episode and i kept going with it and i thought this is interesting going to the water mermaider all these things and so so the idea was to me when the music is being made i'm it gets made in this little room that i'm in this studio this is where i've made a lot of the death clock right it's a fine it's looking a studio closet. brandon it's 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 like a I have a dog back there and a couple of guitars and um, perfect. That's it. But but it, at some point it, it seems like the way this works is like it's almost like being in deep cover. It's like Serpico. Like you have to live amongst the cops and and see what's going on. But that's what touring was for me. And it just makes the when I'm making music, when I'm singing, when I'm doing lyrics or anything, I'm not really 
deciding, death clock's deciding for me, and they're just asking me to kind of not fuck it up, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think of it, is that I'm still in character. Like, I, like you know, when you're writing a script, you're improvising the character slowly and then tailoring it and, you know, fine-tuning it and all that stuff. But it's all improv, and it's all just like, how does this make the show cooler, better? And And honestly, what we talk about in making this movie and making the show all the time is how can we make it cooler? How can we make it cool? Let's make it cool. Let's make it something that you can kind of like get into, even though it's also like a total dipshit comedy at the same time of inept idiots. And, um, but how do you also make it cool? How do you ride the line? And that's, that's what the live tour is. And I can't, I couldn't do it all the time, especially back then. Cause it was just like a monumental amount of work, mm-hmm. um, that I enjoyed doing, but it was also like, it was a lot just trying to keep, keep also, you know, you go through a season and you need to get the next season up and running, but you also need to put a record out in the middle, and you also need to tour. So you're in production and you're touring at the same time, and it gets pretty it gets pretty hairy around that around that time. It's just like the time is like okay, I got to sell the next show, I got to get on the radio, do, do Nathan Explosion's voice, and I have a script coming in that is not in good shape that I have to fix. Plus, an animatic just came in that I also have to give notes on, and then I got to be on stage. And then I was hoping to take a nap. That's not going to happen. So okay, let's keep going. So it was like that for a long time, and mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, this is project is getting too crazy. It's getting too crazy. Yeah. And uh, and that was the problem of the show is like, how do you do it all at the same time? But at the same time, when it all lands, when you get the synergy of, of a new season or a new movie and a record and blah 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 and a tour all happening at the same time, it's a really nice way to promote and also just go put into practice your guitar playing all the stuff that you were interested in from when you were 14 so i like doing it all would i do it all forever maybe i don't know it's mm. crazy it's like i feel like the guy from um you know uh mary poppins like every day your job is just a little bit different and that's that to me is the, the only way i can do it you know yeah. doing the same thing every day, i don't know if i would last i agree um so i would <laughs> Not to change gears a little bit, but we were talking. You were talking about two thousand five, two thousand six, um, yeah. and around that same time frame, you had a spread in Playgirl, and I just kind of, you know, yeah, <laughs> want to chat with you about that. So how did yeah, that? Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was a comedy issue. So how did yeah, that? Yeah, how did that come to? Yeah. How did that come to light? And like, how, uh, you know, were you nervous about it, or how nervous about course, the photo yeah, shoot yeah. and how it would be perceived? It was uh, okay. So it started out. There's a. There's a magazine called Bust Magazine, and Bust Magazine was uh, all written by women, and they had like um, they did like a comedy issue, and then they said, and then a lot of those writers ended up working on Playgirl, so they were all like punk rock, cool writers that were working on Bust Magazine, and some transferred to Playgirl, and they were like, let's do something crazy, and I was like, look, I'll, it's a dare, right? So it's some kind of like comedy dare. And uh, I wasn't, there's, you can't see any of my junk or anything. No, like yeah. <laughs> but if you were to be able to, I would have painted it like King Diamond. Um, yeah, great. But, um, I, you know, it's funny. The whole thing kind of comes out, and it only comes up in art, in like interviews like this. Except, <laughs> except my mother, at one point, she calls me and she said, you know, I got an, the issue that you're in. I was like, why, mother, would you get the issue where I'm naked in it? And she's like, well, I was interested. <laughs> and I was like, I, she said, I'm your mother. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, for the and I said, well, what'd you think? And she goes, well, I didn't get to it because, frankly, I didn't realize that they were showing erect 
penises these days <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah so there were like zero repercussions other other than and uh, you know i i was around william street at that time and it was a hot topic uh around yeah it was, that. but it's also like Aziz Ansari was in it too. So none of us were male <laughs> models or anything like that. You know, it was like the photos are like, great. Uh, the photos are great and it, very funny. They're pretty silly. They're, I have like a, I grew out a mustache for it, and I think I was in better shape beforehand. But I thought I'm gonna, I'm not gonna monitor what I eat before because I oh, think yeah. it'd be better if I'm a little bit fatter. Comedic effect, yes. <laughs> Always thinking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, laugh. I get it. I get it. Funny about ripped abs. Um, yeah. You got broken into a couple of years ago. Did you ever? Uh, I mean, we we reported on that, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, did you ever kind of like get any of that, you know, stolen goods back? No. No, and it wasn't a couple of years ago. It was it was a really it was almost exactly a year ago. Oh Because shit. I think the, we, we it was right before the Adult Swim Fest in 2022, and um, and that was like August, seriously August 7th, I think. So yeah. a year ago, holy crap. As, as, so it was a year ago and it was this very room mm. and uh, our house was under construction and I was grabbing some guitars out of this room and taking them to the death clock rehearsal so we could go and play this thing and there were a bunch of people like taking trash out of this house and stuff and and we have it on camera before that some of them were kind of sneaking around this area and I can't say that like I've got no proof because mm. later on someone killed all of our cameras and robbed me and I had really really good guitars if you saw my post you know that they're yeah. pretty unique some of them were prototypes one of them was a gift that Joe Satriani gave me and they haven't popped up on the they haven't popped up anywhere Maybe not no I, I I mean the other thing is as that's happening I'm at the I, I'm not only producing a, a movie and a record and a, and a score at the same time but I, I have to go and do a live show a one-off and the one-offs are treacherous by the way they're so difficult because it's an it's you know it's a full show and you get one shot to do it right and they're going to film it with like 20 cameras and you're like just going oh don't make any mistakes and meanwhile i'm on the flight uh basically trying not to cry um because uh oh my college guitar that i like did all this home movie stuff that i like put my name in i like i mm. whittled my name into the headstock it was like a warmth guitar and i loved it gone so so you go so you have to like you have to go all right show must go on let's go do the show and I had enough guitars to get the job done and since then I've bought a couple more and um, and I still play like most of the record is this guitar that that was the survivor like one of the lone survivors which is this um, my Epiphone mm -hmm. uh, it's called a ghost horse and it's this um, this guitar with like 24 frets and a whammy bar so this is like my main guitar on the new Death Clock record um, though I would have switched around and yeah so I had to like rethink and find a new way to record but I think some of that's good news because it just gets you out of your safety zone yeah. and again I still have my fingers so I can still play guitar it's just I can't play those guitars and they didn't show up and I have and I and I think you know I, I contacted a lot of the the main like you know all the guitar stores around here and uh, and again like there's a prototype there's a Thunder Horse prototype there it was mm. just like my main guitar it was the best it was best out of the, the whole litter and uh, it's gone they're all gone. They're all gone. And I, I didn't cry. I held it in. You could if until, you wanted to, man. We would have been okay know, with that. I, but I, I, I would have cried on stage, I think. And I don't think the audience needed to see me trying to like do a death metal voice and also just sobbing at the same time. Yeah. But when I came back, when I was going back to the airport, I was like, had my little, my, 
my sad little luggage and I was just kind of rolling through the, you know, people passing by and I was in this daze and I cried for about uh, like two inhales and exhales and I, then I was like, okay, I, I got to go back to work. I got to make this yeah. movie. I got to finish all this stuff. I can't feel sorry for myself, but it sucks. What are you going to do? Yeah, it sucks a lot. Show I mean, must go on. But you know, th- the fact that it's only been a year, that leaves plenty of time for them to pop back up, you know, in a pawn shop somewhere or in on eBay or, you know what I mean? There's, there's definitely it's some really place. It's really funny saying all this because there I was in the Death Clock rehearsal like the day before my guitars were stolen and somebody else said, we were talking about Buckethead who got his guitar stolen too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said what you said, which is, oh, it's a funny thing how these guitars somehow find their way back to their owners <laughs> years later and they come back together. And I said that, then the Cavalier, like, because it, it is, because you want to put a, you want to put a nice spin on it somehow. It's yeah. just, you're compelled to go, oh, it's not so bad. Brutal. And the truth Brutal. is, like, you know, it isn't Nathan. so bad. It, to be robbed and all that stuff it's could be worth it could have it could it could be worse but um but also i wish it didn't happen no and maybe i'll see those guitars again maybe i won't but you know like i said i think ultimately they're they're these cool expensive trinkets that you are just very used to and you got to go and kind of like you got to keep living you got to keep moving forward yeah so that's yeah. my attitude. And if I linger on it too long, I probably will get upset. But it's, I don't think well, it's, I don't I think mean, it'll do anything. I know. I know you don't want to wait this long or anything like that. But recently, um, I don't remember the band or who it was, but someone had the, someone stole a guitar from somebody, and then felt bad enough about it. Fifteen years later, they returned it. So you know, all hope <laughs> is not lost. <laughs> so yeah. You know, yeah. What are you gonna do? I know. I, I yeah. I hear you. I hear. I appreciate. That. Oh, I appreciate okay. it. All. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit off of Metalocalypse and, and Death Clock and stuff like that because you, you've done a lot. Um, early uh, About 13 years ago, you did a video with Chris Cornell and Soundgarden um, for yeah. Black Rain. How was, that, how was that experience working with the band and Chris and all that? Um, it was incredibly cool. It was one of the coolest things in the world because I love Soundgarden and I couldn't believe they broke up when they were still making such great music. And uh, I was just, I was just like, what? A, everyone's still alive, and you, you're not worried. And then Chris, uh, I was like, oh, okay, whatever they're gonna do, they're gonna do. But, uh, but the way, so I got a call from Ollie at Adult Swim, and she goes, hey, Soundgarden's management is asking about you <laughs> because they have a new song. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, Soundgarden has a new song. And so that's how I found out Soundgarden was getting back together was this phone call where they were asking me to direct a music video. Oh, nice. So that's one of the coolest calls I've ever gotten in my life. And then later on, like cut to like later on that night, me on the phone with Kim Thale. And um, and it would start a friendship. Just like we talked for like three hours, just about movies, about guitars, about I just bugged him about Soundgarden, about, you know, about the about Soundgarden's sound about like he's like yeah everybody says Black Sabbath but no 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 we were trying to copy the Melvins interesting Nirvana was trying to copy Melvins everybody in Seattle at that time thought there was nothing cooler than the Melvins and whatever happened it ended up being Soundgarden for us it ended up being Nirvana for Nirvana and you know all the other bands and so I talked to him about his guitars I talked to him about his playing we talked about Frank Zappa and we talked about like monster movies and and I was, and so he was kind of pitching me this idea, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool! This is cool!" And we had a good budget because Guitar Hero was um, mm-hmm. financing it, and it was really 
cool. So I was like, oh, cool. So that's that was an important part because I I learned a little bit more about animation because we had a really great compositor that joined us for that, and that just made me understand how important compositing is to getting a cool look from animation, which would eventually go back to our movie about cool compositing, getting cooler shots, all that stuff. And that was kind of part of that. So so uh, after that, Soundgarden would play live, uh, and I would see them, and I'd get to talk to Chris Cornell about being a vocalist and how why he sounds so great. And Oh, by the way, the song is called Black Rain, and it's such a cool song. <laughs> It's one of the coolest Soundgarden songs that I hadn't heard, and it was an unfinished track from like the Bad Motorfinger sessions. So going way back, they kind of got it in shape and and they played. And I just remember listening in this room to that track and and thinking, my God, like it's it's bass, guitar, drums, and a vocalist and two guitars. And, but that their sound is so huge, and they're bigger than the sum of their parts. And Soundgarden and Matt Cameron, Ben Shepard. All those guys are so, so cool and such great musicians. And then my wife, one of our early dates, I took her to go watch uh, King Animal get mixed, like in Pasadena. So we sat with, with Kim. And anytime we go to Seattle, we have dinner with Kim. And I'll have long, I talked to him earlier this year, earlier this summer. And we'll just have long conversations and just chat about, hey, did you see this movie? Did you see that movie? Let's talk. What do you got? You know, what are you doing? Did you get anything? What, what's happening? Were you playing or what are you doing? And so it, he's in town. We'll have dinner. When I'm in town, we'll have dinner. It's the coolest thing in the world. He's such a cool guy. Awesome. And just like, I always thought Kim Thale would be like the tough, scary guy, but he is just so silly and so nice. Yeah, it's like another corpse grinder kind of person. Um, I got yeah. two I got two more real quick questions, and I'm going to hand it off to Dylan because he he's probably got a couple more like, you know, things that he's interested in back in the day uh you mentioned earlier that you you know you called a couple of people to be on the show in the beginning uh of the series and, and and everything was there anyone that turned you down um i think some people most of them were interested because they saw what this was and it's also it's it's also what we're asking them to do is be funny and um you know so what we would do is we would see who was going to be in town and we thought okay maybe we can grab you we can get a runner to pick you up and come and do like you know seriously it shouldn't take more than 20 minutes like the podcast um, used to be I, I like that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so so we would get people to to like agree or someone else would vouch for us or something like that and then we like there's some people that we would try to get, or like, you know, some of my guitar heroes, like I reached out and they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then it would kind of, something would happen or fizzle yeah. out or they'd go on tour and we wouldn't, or we'd be, wouldn't be in production. Um, so that would be happening. But no one said to us, like, absolutely not. Like I, some people that we never got that I wish we'd gotten were like Dave Mustaine, where I talked to him about it in person and stuff. Um, but some of those we just never got. But, uh, but the guys we got were really cool. No, and yeah. I wish we could you have gotten more 100 um, because everyone has it in them to, to sort it out so we're working with actors all day or we're working with <laughs> actors like mark hamill and malcolm mcdowell even Werner herzog mm-hmm. and then and then uh, slash comes in and he you know he we got to kind of talk him into letting go and being silly and you know all that stuff and billy gibbons comes in and he's kind of ready to go and then you know Everyone's got a different kind of thing, and then once they start feeling silly or stupid, that means we're on the right track, and that's usually how it happened. Awesome. My last one, and it's not yes. really Metalocalypse or Death Clock related. Uh, yeah. you, you did a cameo on one of my favorite shows, Frisky Dingo, as Brent and Trent, uh, voice acting. Oh. So 
I mean, you're the only person that I've kind of been able to come in contact with that has any kind of, you know, reference to that show or, you know, even worked on that show was, or was a part of that show. So my question to you is, is there ever going to be a resurgence of Frisky Dingo? Because I loved that show much more than, uh, you know, what it eventually would kind of come to be like Archer and whatnot. But Frisky Dingo right. is just a great, great show. So is there ever going to be like a resurgence of that or what? I, do, I really don't know. That's like an Adam Reed question, I think. And by the way, I years ago... I, I had such a funny night with Adam Reed where like he was at a comic con or something and we just like stayed up late and drank too much and just got kicked out of a place. He's so funny. He's so naturally gifted. And I remember, I think like Dave Willis did that original part and somebody was like, oh, we got too much Dave Willis. Get somebody else to do it. So, so I remember like being in my old apartment, like screaming and turning purple and it was like a hot summer day where I had to turn all the air off and everything and scream and bellow and my neighbors were like what are you doing and uh but i recorded all in my apartment my little kind of makeshift pro tool set uh little area but um that's all i remember from that and i just remember like he was so funny and um and that's why like i think his shows are always funny because it's a funny guy with good t comedy taste yeah. and uh you know archer's not a bad same. show i'm just saying I, there's characters yeah, no, on Frisky Dingo Archer. that are great and archer's got john benjamin who of course. you know i worked with for a long time on movies too yeah Hilarious. All right. So that's all I got. I don't have any information. That's yeah. all. I, I was just kind of, you know, hoping you may have some insight, but that's okay. Dylan, go ahead yeah, and ask yeah. him whatever you, whatever. Yeah, you I mean, I mean, that's that takes us back to you know, John Benjamin doing coach, you know, on on home movies. Back to those days, you've been working a long time on all that stuff. Picked up by Adult Swim, came over there, kind of, you know, yeah. started Metalocalypse, worked on The Perfect Hair, Forever, a little known show, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one um, So back then, you know, things were were really really about getting a show picked up, um, you know, putting out a DVD, getting sales on that, um, having the network pay you. What is that? And, and then you know, we had the writer strike, and and Cartoon Network picked up you know some reality shows here and there. They had a Andrew WK show. I don't know if you ever. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one where he he blew shit up uh, with kids, which was funny. So the industry has changed over time. What, what does it look like now? Like, you know, when you have a show, you have a property, you're pitching a show, like, are you pitching the networks? Are you pitching the Netflix? Like, how has it changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, it's... What stops you from putting out yourself on YouTube or, or anything like that, too? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. The, the, the truth is that, you know, I, realistically, I can only do stuff that I'm really interested in, you know, that really, like, I want to do. And, and Metalocalypse and Home Movies together are, like, two of the best jobs I've ever had. Metalocalypse meaning that, you know, in that I get to start the process and end the process. I get to write it, and then I get to finish the music, and I get to act somewhere in the middle. So it's the ultimate job for me. And, and there's some other jobs where, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do pilots, and I'll do pitches, and I'll do some stuff, and... And um, and I think the the chain the, the big difference you know what Adult Swim and Mike Lazo really gave to the world was a very unique place run by a singular kind of ideology, where you go to every streamer right now, and even you go to pitch for every streamer, and you say, "What are you guys looking for?" And they go, "Well, we're, we kind of do everything a little bit." And so, but Adult Swim had something. They're like, "If you want to be in this club, you got to sell this and this and this. You got to like make a funny and weird and crazy show." And it really was great because because of the hard work that they did to build this plot of land, all these other shows got to exist. 
and they had to sit there and fight for it for the, the amount of decades that it was on the air um, or that you know before like all the streamers and all that stuff happened um, but uh, it's different because there I don't think there is that thing anymore there isn't that like you know, plot of land that wants to do kind of weirdo cartoons and yeah. stuff they kind of happen and a lot of people try it and realize there's something missing in a lot of them um, or they're overthought or they're or the you know the taste of the show just isn't adding up at the end or something so uh, but pitching's still the same thing you still gotta like the whole thing is like you know comedy and and know-how and all that stuff it's all kind of like it's all like you can do that if you can be a good salesperson first and so like you have to like pitch and like really say like this is and and Again, Adult Swim was the kind of show where people were, would say, like, look, I will pick this up and I will be accountable for this show. Where right now in a lot of networks, nobody wants to be accountable for anything. Nobody wants to lose their job over a show. So it's a really tricky place in creativity. So I don't know. I think there's. I think that after this strike and everything, the landscape will probably change. I think streaming will, in order to kind of continue some kind of um, good faith agreement or whatever, I think it's going to start turning into TV again. And TV, I understand, because it is about ratings. It is about overnights. TV back in, especially in Adult Swim, we would have to, like, our show would air on a Sunday night at, like, 1245, <laughs> you know, a.m. And then we would look to see if we had jobs on Monday by looking at the overnights, you know. And you'd see, like, oh, did we care? Did we hold our numbers? Are they good enough? You know, that's the question. And right now, in, like, Netflix and the world of streaming, everyone's me metrics are hidden. You can't even tell. So that's yeah. why people are striking right now, too, right. because... It's either either they don't want to let you know how much power you have, or nobody's watching anything and it looks stupid and yeah. everybody looks bad. So, yeah. but that that's that's how TV was born. That's how like you know the shows that everyone agreed on were made. You know, was that uh, yeah. What was a finite good number? And you don't have to say a specific number for your show per se, but like you were saying, you know, <clears throat> hold over the audience or whatever for the for the evening shift, late night shift, or whatever. But because Cartoon, Cartoon Network was, you know, mainly geared towards kids, like, how much leniency did you guys have at that late night Adult Swim situation, <clears throat> to where like, you know, you could have bad weeks or some or bad days, you know? Well, um, well, that that's the idea. You, in TV, you can't have bad days or weeks <laughs> or your days are numbered. Like, really, you can't like just like do that. Like, even like, I think about Seinfeld all the time because I think it's a really great show and I think it really found its footing later on, but it really was also pretty good when it started out its ratings weren't huge but they were not bad and they were trying to grow this Thursday night show and then it then it then everyone started going wait a minute this show's really got its shit together around season 4 and the whole world it became part of the zeitgeist and their numbers kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger but um, those were like in the millions like 11 million on a Thursday night that's a big deal I remember when we were on UPN with home movies we got kicked off of the network for only having a 2.4 million share which is like 2.4 million people watch this show and also tuned out of it but now a day is like when you see like the oh the the ending of succession had like 2.4 million viewers something like that you realize those are the numbers that would get you kicked off of a network yeah. in the old days now it's like pretty good numbers so anywhere around there and like even lots of people are watching tv and lots of people are watching tv late at night so adult swim not just our show but adult swim alone was basically the number one thing. It was beating out all the late night shows. Mm -hmm. Nobody was watching like 
Conan or Fallon or any of those things, they were watching Adult Swim on on weekend nights or Sunday nights or even streaming throughout the, the week. So he found he found like what Saturday Night Live found, which was like a weird little patch of time with weird people that were flying their weird flags everywhere, yeah. and and the audience were also weird and excited or <laughs> having some. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a fun time. Like that that time, Aqua Teen Hunger Force was big. Uh, they put out a movie back then, mm-hmm. and I remember. Yeah, Williams William Street just carried that weirdness through. Like in the office, there was yeah. the, uh, Bone Crusher come through. That rapper he came through. P Lander Z played a show in the office. I mean, it was a it was a beautiful time to be there. They were kind yeah. of in their own little world, uh, in their own little studio. So it was a good time. It was like it, it felt it felt like a little bit of magic back then. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, it and and like I said, I don't think you're gonna find that right now. Maybe maybe someone will build an app or something that like that will get popular. You remember or, Super Deluxe? Did you ever get a? Yeah, I remember Super Deluxe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, don't know, like I, I think the same thing that's happening is happening though is like um, is that you know you've got to excite somebody inside of a network that your idea is worth taking to the finish line and then you've got to like hopefully advertise it enough and see if there's an audience the thing about Metalocalypse was good, bad, or indifferent there is an audience that is not being spoken to right now and that's this heavy metal crowd so yeah. they already <laughs> exist yeah. Do you think do you think metal has grown since since then since and since Metalocalypse first came on the scene? Um, I I don't know. I don't really like. I'm not like a. I don't follow the numbers of like what heavy metal is doing from moment to moment. I know it's always really important to me, and there's a lot of really cool inspired stuff coming out. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You you mentioned kind of working on stuff you you love and uh, something tangentially metal related. Um, was you worked on the uh, soundtrack for uh, Black Knight uh, Pinball? Oh machine, yeah, right. Because yeah. I, I love that pinball machine. That whole series. Oh, you do. I love all those yeah. machines. And I played that when it came out, like to twenty nineteen. What was what was that like working on that? Well, that's that was me and Scott Ian from Anthrax in this very room. Um, mm. Just like basically our friends at Stern Pinball, Jody Denkberg, who is like the artist relations person there, who used to be part of Crank Amps, which is the amp company that Dimebag endorsed before before he died and um, I met Jody there and Jody went from job to job for a little while and then landed at Stern Pinball and he didn't know any voiceover people so he called me and I did the voice of the Metallica pinball game I'm the voice of the uh, Aerosmith pinball game I'm the voice of the Black Knight where I pitched my voice down that's me talking in the Black Knight Um, (laughs) and in that one also was a cool extra little challenge which was how do we write the music or uh, appropriate some of the cool music from the original Black uh, Black Knight video, uh, pinball game. So that was part of the thing is that Black Knight had a cool kind of synthesizer soundtrack, and so we kind of did it with guitars, and then added a lot of little bits and pieces throughout the whole thing. But it was really fun just sitting here, and I was more of like I was programming drums, and I was just handing Scott guitars. He played my buckethead guitar that I used to have. To play <laughs> like all these different guitars. And I was just watching his right hand. So for me, it was like going to rhythm guitar school and watching Scott, who's I think one of the best heavy metal rhythm guitar players. And also, I think he's one of the guys that invented the genre, really. Um, but uh, he's, yeah, we had a lot of fun. That was like a really fun time. And we've collaborated on a bunch of little different things, you know, throughout the years. Um, 
and that was that was really cool. And we got some kind of an award for the music of that too, which was kind of right. cool. Yeah, I have a little statue somewhere. Um, yeah, and you have a machine? They give you one? <laughs> uh, no, they didn't. But I, I'm, I'm supposed to be getting one soon because I just finished a, a couple other voices for. I just did the voice of the Led Zeppelin pinball game, and I did the Foo Fighters pinball game. So it's this really weird side hustle that I'm doing with voiceover <laughs> are, and pinball. Are you, and I just are you yeah. like mimicking these guys' voices? Or are you just using a voice? I'm using like basically like normally what I'm doing. The majority is, is I'm some kind of like dunk tank asshole who's you know chastising you when you miss a ball or uh, something like that. So it's that kind of thing, you know, where I'm like some kooky, obnoxious character. Gotcha. And, I was gonna uh, put you on the spot for like or, a you know like a um, a Robert Plant uh, impression, but it wasn't a Robert Plant. By the way, this is the funniest story: is that I did the Led Zeppelin thing, and we were kind of like our initial idea was to go like kind of silly and screwy and chastising. And I was like, oh, I don't think Led Zeppelin's going to like this, <laughs> but let's send them a version of this anyway. And they did. And I got notes back from Robert Plant, collective from Robert Plant, from Jimmy Page, and from John Paul Jones. Mm. And the message was, we detest this. <laughs> Go a different and, direction. And, uh, and I was like, I, I'm, I agree with Led Zeppelin on this one. <laughs> so let me do like more kind of like calmer, kind of like just more of like a BBC kind of... Uh, uh. Voice that you know some tame stuff yeah. yeah um i don't want to keep it too long i know you're probably doing press for the rest of the day i don't how much time you got left i don't know what i have uh, left today because we're but, running about like uh, an hour so i just wanted to make sure yeah i've got well I, you know what i have to do um i have to go back and i have to finish preparation for the concert that i'm about to do so we're kind of doing some nipping and tucking of our timeline because we played a picture when we play live. Mm. And so we have some new stuff that we're going to be doing and some legacy stuff that we're going to be doing. So we're, so I'm, I'm going to go back to this guy, Brian Weeder, who I, I uh, mentioned is a compositor. He's who he worked on the movie with me. So I've got to get off of this Zoom and go talk to him <laughs> because we only have so much time because I got two weeks and then I go into rehearsals and then I'm yep. on the road. All right, well, then we'll wrap it up. I just want to ask you one uh, one final question here. Is that a wine rhymer behind you? Is that the kind of dog it is? Yeah, that's that's Gilda, and she is asleep right now, and she's an old, she's elderly. Yeah, I got a 12-year-old boxer, so I'm, I'm, I'm with the old dogs. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, I wish she could come on the road with me because uh, I'm going to, she's like my emotional support pet. All pets are emotional support pets, but. There she is. Now she's awake. She, she heard us talking about you. Yeah. Her, her and by the way, she loves hanging out in here because she can't hear anyway. So when I'm playing loud guitars or screaming vocals or doing whatever, she's just like sleeping and now she peaceful. can feel it. There's a little bit of vibrations in the air. There's a little bit of vibration. Yeah, she'll get excited. Cool. Well, Brandon, I <laughs> yeah. appreciate your time, man. And the movie's awesome. The reviews uh, we reviewed it. Um, the guys loved it. Uh, we're putting that up today or tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. I know you're really gonna love the comment section on that probably. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Well, and I want to ask, I know Dylan brought it up earlier, but what was, uh, was there a specific website maybe that you were trying, that, that you, that influenced the, uh, the topic of like not, what, not reading the comments on, or Metalocalypse, or Death Clock oh, not reading the comments? Oh, no, I mean, to me, that scene that you're talking about comes out of character, and it also comes out of the ego. This character is going through an ego maniacal crisis, right? Okay. So Nathan Explosion, you know, is in a professional and romantic flat spin when he is asked to write this song that may or may not save the world. So being creative under emotional duress, I think is a really interesting thing. Like I said, I mean, I just told you a story about 
being robbed and then having to go on stage exactly. and like how do you how do you make it all work so that's something that i think is real and i think it's funny and it's also this guy has to like get over his ego and that's like a big final huge thing that's part of what this show is about is the ego the celebrity mm -hmm. who you are versus who people think you are all that stuff so there wasn't one particular thing in fact like i sit there and i'll write up like you know it's something like tmz or it's something like this or that or whatever and um but it's everywhere there's like you know there is a real tactile uh, in this in this world of our movie. You know, there there's a real crazy push and pull between the fans and the bands. Yeah, and it's this this really complicated relationship, and it's a little bit of uh, toxic fandom, and it's toxic bandom too. Like so, they're both toxic towards each other, and it's a really crazy thing. So. It makes sense in the narrative to uh, kind of have that moment and have it just sting and let the music really mm -hmm. hurt, hurt him. You know. Yeah, I love both of those terms: toxic fandom and bandom. I think I'm start using yeah. those. Uh, yeah, I'll give you credit though when and, when and if I do. Uh, oh, it's your take, <laughs> Brandon. Thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. The movie's awesome. Death Clock is awesome. You really, I mean, again, I, I know I said it earlier. You pulled it off in like a magical fashion. So. Um, nice I appreciate you. appreciate you giving that to the world, and I appreciate you being on the show, Dylan. If you want to say anything before we get out of here, yeah, yeah Brennan, just same thing, man. Love what you do, keep doing it, and look to hear from from you guys more. So, thank you guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Have uh, a good one, bro. It means a lot for you guys to say that. I hope to see you on the road somewhere. Oh well, we'll make it apparent if we're there. All right, cool. Take it awesome, easy, guys. Later. Thanks. Hello everybody, I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.